You're listening to a recent Abbey Theatre talk. You can get more information on future talks in the series by visiting abbeytheatre.ie. Okay, wow, so many people. Um, Annabelle said before we started that uh, she was very nervous, and I don't know whether it was so many people in the room or it's because I used to teach Annabelle uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, she's a student at Trinity. Um, as Lisa said, it is the hottest ticket in town, and so first of all, congratulations, Annabelle, on a fantastic hit show Thank you. for the Abbey. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I just want to ask you, first of all, what attracted you uh, to Pygmalion? What was it um, that got you going? Um, the reality is that uh, Fiek asked me to uh, take a look at the play because um, he said it's a play that he loved and uh, was interested in doing for quite a while. And I've always uh, directed predominantly contemporary British playwrights. Mm. Um, so this was kind of very left field suggestion and I was like, oh. Um, so I read it and, um, and then I read it. Mm-hmm. And I, I read it about three times. It took me about th- three times to read it t- t- for me to feel I was beginning to understand the play and how, what, what would you know, what drew me to the play. So initially, I, I, I liked mm. the play, and I always loved My Fair Lady, actually. Uh, but um, I hadn't seen that in a long time, and mm. I Pygmalion was done in school, but mm. I, I, it wasn't initially a, a draw for me. And it was only as I began to understand the play a little bit better, and and also the relationship between. Um, I, I found Higgins a fascinating character, actually. Mm. Um, and I suppose there's a debate whether the play's about Higgins or whether it's about Eliza. Or, or maybe both, but I found the complexities of his character fascinating, uh, and I thought. So was he a mad scientist, or I, 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 suffering from Asperger's syndrome? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I think um, I, I think he's a product of his time, and he, I think he's an interesting character because I think he doesn't get fulfilment from society around him. I uh-huh. actually think he's a bit of an illust, and oh, right. um, and that he. Uh, I think he is emotionally has detached himself from society as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So when I began to, I think, uh, understand the psychology of the characters, and not just Higgins, but the characters, Mm -hmm. and and how they're rooted in in the periods that are set in, Mm -hmm. and the social and political period they're set in, that began to fascinate me. And the colonial period as well. Absolutely. Colonel Pickering coming back from India, this idea of subjecting people to the gaze of the, the Orientalist gaze, Studying people. Yeah, no. It, it, it's a, I suppose, in a way, um, what, what, what's uh, interesting about it as well is because of the time of huge change. Mm-hmm. You have the industrial age, and and in a way, do little is is a kind of a product of a self-made man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and then also, it was in the time of change of the suffragette movement. Um, it was also kind of the end, the beginning of the end of the empire mm-hmm. as well right, as yeah. as you know mm-hmm. it. And so things were in huge turmoil, and I think it was fascinating because. Eliza then is an extraordinary character who talks about um, one's financial independence but by the end end of the play she's looking at an independence that is quite unique 
mm-hmm. really for that time. Mm-hmm. And it's also just prior. So the play was written in 1912, but we set it from 1913 to 14. So it was just on the cusp of going into World War I. Mm-hmm. So costume-wise, we thought her final outfit is her liberty outfit, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And we kind of just thought um, that sense of just preempting the role that women were going to play um, uh-huh. after World War I too. So yeah. I, I suppose... Yeah, and what about the question of uh, social mobility? Because you know the class system in Britain is well known yeah. uh, for being rigid and, and not being for not being able to move between the, yeah. the different classes. Was you know is that an issue for us here in Ireland? Uh, to the same, well, certainly not to the same extent. Um, I, I I don't think mm. they are to the same extent. Mm. No. But um, I do think, um, I even think on the back of what Ireland has gone through at the moment, in ter- uh, what we have gone through in the last few years in terms of excessive amount of um, the money that was in the country and is not there anymore, mm-hmm. and how that transformation of people's lives um, uh, it happened and now we're looking back and reflecting on the, what type of new person that has made us and mm. I think you see that in the Doolittle character and in, um, and in many of the characters who are in the Ainsford Hill characters actually there are people of a certain class but now they've lost or they have no money mm. Mm. and how they deal with actually the reality of being of the upper classes but not having the money to fulfil that role and so like, money is obviously at the core of the play mm-hmm. as well So um, we're all Eliza's then? I, I guess so, yeah <laughs> Um, why do you think this is the first ever Abbey Theatre production of Pygmalion? Have you any ideas where that might be? I don't know. Right, I, yeah. I, I, I have no idea, because they've done uh, Shaw before. Mm. Um, it, no, I have no idea why it's been this long for them to... And I suppose Fiek would be the man to answer that. But I don't know. I don't or, know. well, pre- his or predecessors. Pre- his predecessors, because yeah. yeah. he was one... Yeah, I have no idea. I suppose Shaw sometimes is... Because his plays are set in England. Mm. Um, most of his plays are all set in England. He's often seen as a, an English playwright, right, now, yeah. even though mm-hmm. he's an Irish playwright. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. OK. Yeah. Um, well... Well, that's something we need to ask Fiek about. Yeah. Okay, um, as I said, the play deals with uh, issues of class, um, but also issues of gender yeah. and, and the constru- uh, construction of, uh, uh, of an individual. Actually, uh, f- some of you may remember um, Annabelle's production of uh, A Number by Carol Churchill in the Peacock Theatre. I don't know what year that was. What, four, three, four three, four years, years ago? Yeah. And that also dealt with uh, the question of nature versus nurture. Yeah. Can you create someone? Can, are, are you born to be uh, uh, into a class? Are you born to be someone? Or can you be trained and educated into it? Yeah. I saw similar resonances in, in, yeah, in, in no, this play are, as well. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. because I suppose you, Eliza is, is quite a unique character because I don't think Shaw's saying that uh, everyone who makes a living on the you know streets selling flowers mm. has that um, ambition or um, I suppose Shaw uses the word soul and I think um, a Higgins falls in love um, with Eliza's soul mm-hmm. um, and I think what Shaw means about soul is something um, that she is hungry to learn mm-hmm. um, and and I I, I think what Shaw writes about is a lot of the people who are in the uh, the upper classes um, are soulless in some ways. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They're 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 
you know, he doesn't, Higgins gets no satisfaction out of them. They're uh, people who enjoy eating and drinking and not much else, basically. And, mm -hmm. and he feels that the, the, the small things that they should know, like their own etiquette, they don't even know that. Mm -hmm. But Eliza ha has quite a unique soul, and she's, she's um, absolutely starved of it on the streets mm -hmm. um, um, in terms of art and literature and music and culture. And, um, and, and, and yet she has an innate um, understanding of them. And so she picks up she ha she all has a musical instrument that we don't know what, what it is mm -hmm. that she takes with her, but um, they Higgins says that she has a better ear than he ever had, mm -hmm. and he's kind of the expert in his field. So um, I think she's and her father as well. Like when you listen to Doolittle's arguments, his he's he speaks like a barrister, mm -hmm. um, and so in a way they are they're. I don't know whether that is something you're born with, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It seems to be what he's suggesting, that not right. everyone has... I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but mm -hmm. uh, um, it seems something that she, she is an extraordinary character herself, and we're introduced to her without having an understanding of where she might have picked that up. You, see, you, you, talk as, um, you seem to have a lot of sympathy for her, but she, yeah. for Eliza, but, yeah. but she enters the experiment willingly. She does, yeah. Um, um, I guess Eliza has very strong morals... Um, mm -hmm. And I think they're morals that are in reaction to her, her father's, as she would consider them, a lack of morals, basically. <laughs> and um, so she says she doesn't drink, just a sense of religion um, and a sense of character. And she's fighting for her character in Act One all the time, mm -hmm. what her character is. Um, and she, she feels is under threat in Act One. But, um, sorry, just remind me of what you were saying there, just... Um, you know, she enters the experiment yeah. uh, to oh, become willingly. a different person, a different yeah. class, very th willingly. Yeah, um, I think, though, she thinks by, by bettering herself mm -hmm. that her, I think, that her class will match her morals. And, okay. I, and, mm -hmm. and so she does. She's quite brutally treated and she accepts it. But I think what she learns by the end is that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. That just because you have a certain way of speaking and dressing doesn't necessarily mean you have morals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she learns that uh, as well as part of her journey. And but she, mm -hmm. she sets out, which is important, she sets out to become a, a lady in a flower shop, not mm -hmm. to become a judgess, right. um, yes. which is a difference. Because um, yeah. a lady in a flower shop has financial independence and... Mm -hmm. um, uh, but she accepts she accepts because she doesn't understand what the consequences mm. will be of being trained to well, do economic independence but she's also maybe not social independence mm. she marries she goes off to marry Freddie well, well we think she might in the version there are right, two yeah, versions yeah. of the play and in the version uh, I decided to do I did a mixture of the two versions yeah. and there's mm -hmm. 15 years apart but I stuck to the original text of the first version where, um, in a way, the notion of her marrying Freddie, I think, is her just looking for a, a way of um, uh, a way out, basically. Mm -hmm. If she's not going to live with Higgins and Pickering, where is she? I can marry Freddie. But mm -hmm. um, that thought doesn't sustain itself through to the end. Mm -hmm. While in the second version, the notion that she marries Freddie becomes much more mm -hmm. concrete. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't see necessarily, even though Shaw writes about it, I don't necessarily see in this version that Freddie is necessarily where she ends up. Mm -hmm. But we also took smaller scenes then that are in the second um, version of the play, and I've taken just a few of them and put them in. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about those for okay. a little bit, because they're, they're very significant, I think. Yeah. Um, one of which is the bathing scene, where she's, yeah. she's stripped and, uh, and bathed, and uh, her whole life is washed off her. Mm. Um, why did you choose to put that in? 
Um, I chose to put in, there are four extra mm. scenes in the second version. There's the, the, the bathroom scene, the phonetic scene, mm. the ballroom scene, and the scene with Freddie. Um, and I chose to put in the bathroom scene and the phonetic scene and just a couple of lines of the ballroom scene. Um, the, I, I thought it... What I was interested in is the inherent violence within the play. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, going back to that notion of empire and how... The, Certain the upper classes justify their violence or their violence is behind doors while with Doolittle we see his violence more outwardly mm-hmm. um, and it's seen uh, you know kind of and also that sense of the only way to treat the working class is to treat them violently because that's all they understand mm-hmm. um, and so Higgins uses very brutal language because he thinks that's the way she understands mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, I also thought it upped the stakes within the play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we go from the bathroom scene and then we look at Pickering, uh, it goes straight into the scene with Pickering and Higgins and, and Pickering saying, you know, can I trust you with this woman? Are you a man of good intentions? That we, we understand, um, I suppose, there's a certain sense of... Uh, uh, brutality that is accepted mm-hmm. and it's, it's on what level and Eliza accepts it too in order to achieve her means and also in the phonetic scene as well I think she's, she's treated quite brutally and yet she mm-hmm. chooses to go through it because she thinks the, the, the means will justify the end basically. Well, one reviewer compared it to Boot Camp of yeah. a reality TV show <laughs> and another re- uh, reviewer referred to the bathing, bathroom scene as a scene of torture, like of waterboarding. Yeah. Um, because well, certainly the <laughs> critics seem to think that you know it's, it was really brutal. I mean, I, I, I felt so as well. Which well, I think what's interesting which is, I think is really good. Mrs. Mm. Pierce um, and the actress by Mrs. Pierce, Fiona Bell, is mm. actually from Scotland. But um, I thought she was absolutely right. She decided that um, the part should be played with an English accent. Um, so we started the first few weeks of rehearsals were done with a Scottish accent. But in mm. a way, she became a caricature then. Um, and so we. Uh, we agreed then that actually to put her in with an English accent it means we can demarcate the the differences of class Mm -hmm. and so she's the housekeeper um, called Mrs Pierce and here is this presumptuous person from the streets um, skipping basically Mm -hmm. rank and surpassing her and I think there's that fighting in Act 2 between Mrs Pierce and Eliza Mm -hmm. about her right to do it and Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a class struggle going Mm -hmm. on there between the the variants of working working classes exactly Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think she is um, um, Mrs Pierce is kind of going well if this is what you want this is how you're going to be treated Mm -hmm. you brought this Mm -hmm. upon yourself Mm -hmm. so I think there is a violence there because there's a bit of a class struggle going between Mm -hmm. the working classes and that so it's not just middle class versus working classes. No, there's this. working classes versus working classes. And, and also within the middle classes themselves is the Ainsford, whatever you call them. Ainsford, yes. Uh, yes, and, uh, and then the Higgins family slightly above it, or they construct themselves as slightly above it. I, you see, I also thought the Ainsford uh, Hills were... Mm. Um, no, I also I saw also the Higgins mm. is as a professional class, right, but he okay. would actually have to work... Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I put them in the category of doctors and scientists right, and, yeah, and yeah. Um, um, barristers and so forth. So, I, I, you know, he has to work still to make a living. And he says he teaches American women um, basically how to speak um, properly or people, you know, wives of industrialists who mm. find themselves um, moving up the social ladder yeah. and he's mm-hmm. teaching them. But you get the sense he needs that to, to make a living. Pickering now has inherent wealth uh-huh. and is extremely wealthy. Mm. Um, but, um, so the Ainsford Hills, no, I, I mm. saw them, they had been born probably into the upper classes, mm-hmm. but haven't got the haven't money the now, money. Yeah. have mm-hmm. lost their money. And Freddie is certainly not going to make any money. Freddie, mm-hmm. the, the head of the household now, now mm-hmm. is inept. 
basically. So in a way, it's an experiment for all of them because um, you know none of them are of, of really of the upper classes anymore. No, uh, up, so it, the, uh, the so creation of a duchess. Yeah, yeah, but the creation of a duchess yes. is something that. Um, none of them is. None of them is on that level. Not quite. Yeah. I don't mm. see them quite at that level. But mm. um, by by Higgins being so renowned, he mm. has earned his place within that right. world. Like yeah. I think he is well off. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, is it? It's called a romantic comedy. Do you think so? Oh, I also thought it was just called a romance. Mm. Not a romantic comedy. I've seen well, various descriptions of it. Ah, but, okay. Uh, mm. And the, the one I had, a, a romance, and, and I think Shaw's talking about the romance of someone who feels they have the idea, they have the idea mm. that they can um, become something else as opposed to a right, romance yeah. between mm-hmm. Eliza and Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, so a comedy, I think it's funny, mm-hmm. but I think, it's, I, I think it's quite dark as well. Mm. So... Um, and that's why you put in those extra scenes <laughs> yeah, from the second draft. Yeah, okay. exactly. um, so let's move on to... Uh, uh, well, let's talk about the production, actually. Sure. Um, you know, the, obviously, you know, when you've, one of the first discussions you might have had would be with the designer, yeah. uh, Paula Mahoney. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about those discussions sure. and how you created those? Because you know, the, the play is full of different locations. It's almost very filmic. Yeah. Uh, it moves about a lot. Um, yeah. So what what were the first conversations you had? Um, I've worked with Paul Amahony mm. a lot, mm. so I'd say six, seven, eight times I've worked with Paul, um, and we, we I think we begin to understand each other's language. Um, so the, the first thing we did is when we met up, um, I remember him saying, "I don't quite know where to start with this," and we were quite used to doing very minimalist uh, sets for contemporary plays, mm-hmm. um, and. And it's easy to feel the weight of a classic play on your shoulders. And in a way, I think the first thing then, we decided to treat it like a production that we normally do in Mm -hmm. a contemporary way, even though it's set in period, we set it within the period. Um, So we looked at, the first thing we did is we just read through the play and we, or we looked through the play and we looked at what Shaw wrote about the sets Mm -hmm. and what he he said. And what we noticed was in Act One, it's set in Covent Garden, and we wondered why it was it set in Covent Garden, and what was it about St Paul's? Uh, and we looked at pictures, and we suddenly went, "Oh, St Paul's is not only is it under God's roof, but the idea of empire as well in, mm-hmm. in the architecture of the colonnade." So we thought it'd be interesting. What happens if you actually just put two columns on stage that are of the real size of St Paul's? Mm-hmm. Um, would you get that sense of height and empire? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and in Act 1 you see all the different classes as they're designated under Empire, really, in Act mm-hmm, 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and then has, how he describes Act 2 um, was lofty ceilings, and that's um, the laboratory. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he calls it a laboratory as well. Um, so we looked at height, first mm-hmm. of all. And then as you get to Mrs Higgins, he said it's a more contemporary or a more modern apartment for the times and lower ceilings. So we kind of thought Mrs Higgins getting closer to emotion and nature. So height suddenly had a lot to do with it. So that mm-hmm. was our first um, look, uh, first thing we looked at. Then we looked at endless images of laboratories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and then we went from laboratory just looking at images of um, we're quite interested in that sense of really bringing that world into his living room. Mm-hmm. And so it would become quite sterile and a place of science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose the idea of phonetics is someone who breaks down, who removes emotion from speech and breaks language down and compartmentalises. 
Mm-hmm. So there was a few things going on there. So we looked up... Um, First of all, we, we, I looked up actually Nazi files, so, so, so this idea of how you break people down, and I found an image of that. Mm-hmm. And not that I was saying he's Nazi or anything like that, but it was an image actually used and is in the set now, is that idea of compartmentalising people. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a strong idea. Um, I then had a trip to Glasgow um, on this IETM tour, this kind of theatre tour, mm-hmm. and um, I was inside the Macintosh building. Oh, yes, and just looking at the sense of how um, gothic uh, the architecture was and how there was a renaissance of that in that period. Um, And uh, we started then looking to images of Dr. Frankenstein uh, Mm -hmm. as well. (laughs) And just that sense of creating, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. creating his monster or his... um, uh, uh, Eliza Galatia, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. And um, so we kind of use those images um, and the idea of height and, the, I suppose, that gothic image, and also mm-hmm. looking to looking back to kind of um, Greek philosophers as well, right. mm-hmm. and just that idea of um, those links with the past of of, of Greece and, and, and Rome, and mm-hmm. um, so we so Higgins world really. Uh, kind of um, came from those references, really. Right. Um, yeah, and well, then, go ahead. No, no, no mm-hmm. and then Mrs. Higgins, um, Shaw describes as, uh, it's very funny, the detail he goes into, that obviously she was influenced by William Morris, but um, we decided that her, he describes that she, there's a painting of her on the wall that was when in her youth and she was dressing against the fashion. Now, also, we don't have a painting on the wall because um, we don't really have any walls within the set mm-hmm. except for the back wall. But we, we took that as someone who was a socialist but had not found an outlet and had kind of um, become a faded socialist in a way. Um, and, and so we thought it would be interesting if, if the William Morris was then faded back Mm-hmm. So someone who uh, had lost their str- uh, stringency or became mm-hmm. less strident, basically, mm-hmm. um, as the years went on and as, uh, yeah, I suppose, uh, out of her youth, basically. So those are some of the ideas. One of the most striking images for me was uh, the, the, the laboratory. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, the height was uh, yeah. quite extraordinary. But it was uh, towards, uh, you know, when uh, Eliza's experiment was finished yeah. and the box file was put back with all the other box files and you yeah. think of that extraordinary yeah. collection of how many people's lives has he destroyed yeah. uh, at, uh, you know, towards the end and yeah. that, was, that was terrifying actually it's funny because yeah. in Act 3 which is quite a funny scene uh-huh. um, but it, uh, the Act 3 ends then with Mrs Higgins and, um, and Pickering and Higgins and, um, and they're both you know, even Pickering has kind of lost his sense of focus and they're both mm. saying absolutely obsessed by her we take photographs of her we find or compartmentalise, we look at her speech and her tongue, and, mm-hmm. and you're going, she's completely broken down into, um, uh, you know, she, her, every aspect of her has been broken down, and they don't see a person at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the language Shaw um, has Higgins uses that she's a creature, an animal. He doesn't, he hasn't considered her as a human being, and mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. at the same time, he's completely drawn to her. But um, yeah. So. And move on just to stay in sonography, uh, yeah. costumes. Yeah. Uh, you said you, you chose to, uh, to stage it in, not in 1912, but 1913-14. <laughs> I mean, for some of us looking back, you know, 100 years ago, <laughs> what, you know, what's the difference? Yeah. Uh, but of course, in, in those times, going to the theatre, um, you know, the audience would recognise the cut of a dress, they'd recognise yeah. the boots, they'd recognise the shoes instantly, and it'd be an a, instant, uh, instantly able to tell who was who. 
Yeah. Uh, just by the clothes. Just by the look. Yeah. Actually, P- Peter O'Brien, who's mm. a costume designer, he um, he suddenly said, "Oh, fantastic!" Because by 1914, the skirts began to lift, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, and so that was great. So Eliza, <laughs> in the final scene, has a slightly like relatively shorter dress right. than she would, and a slightly freer dress than the constraints mm-hmm. of being dressed by the men, because mm-hmm. she dresses herself in the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought, and everything else that she's worn. Um, uh, has been dressed by Higgins and Pickering, mm-hmm. basically. But um, sound was also a huge mm-hmm. thing in the play, actually. And, and um, uh, more and more I'm drawn to sound. And, and Philip Stewart has done an incredible job on the sound. Mm-hmm. And um, and originally we were going to choose pieces of Wagner and things like that. But then again we said, no, let's do this as we normally work. I all, mm-hmm. I've worked endlessly with Philip Stewart mm-hmm. 10, 11 times um, and we decided what would be interesting is um, introducing the idea of um, vowel sounds right. to, mm-hmm. the, to the music um, the, the first act ends with well I'm dashed um, and I quite like the sound of the the word dashed just seems so um, the epitome of English upper class right, word. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so he's using the vowel sounds of that and how that would, um, uh, those type of sounds and voices and how we'd use that in the music as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then giving a, a dialogue between violin and wind instruments, which was Eliza and Higgins mm-hmm, as right. well. Um, going on in this, this music. I think with the play about phonetics, the sound is absolutely vital. It is, actually. It? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sound uh-huh. became an enormous part sure. of the... And that's why we underscored some of those mm. smaller scenes, too. So, in a way, we didn't stop for those scenes, but we just carry on through into mm-hmm. the main scene. So. Okay. Can I ask you about casting? How did yeah. you approach casting the play? Um, did you start with Eliza and then build around her, or...? Actually, we started with Higgins. Oh, right. okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. Higgins was the first person to start with, um, mm-hmm. and I, I was very lucky in casting. I got everybody who I hoped to get. Mm-hmm. To me, with what was really important was that we would get uh, actors who bring a huge amount of rigor to the stage mm-hmm. um, and complexity, and an inherent kind of violence isn't quite. But but when you see people down on their luck that they have an inherent bite to their acting. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I suppose I didn't, I really wanted some that you could see that were quite grounded mm-hmm. um, and complex um, complex actors. So uh, I feel terribly lucky in the cast. The cast is fantastic. Um, so that was it. So I started mm-hmm. um, with Higgins and then we started building around him actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we kind of went from there, Higgins okay. and, and then Eliza and, um, and Pickering and Doolittle, those characters. So, so when you were uh, casting yeah. Eliza, um, how, you know, what were you looking for? It's a hugely tricky mm. part. Um, Eliza is, is massive in some ways because you're asking a, an Irish woman to play not only a Cockney girl, but then who you will believe the transformation mm-hmm. um, when she passes as a duchess. So Charlie Murphy had an enormous task. And it was finding someone that you could believe. To me, it was really important that you really believe that um, Eliza and Doolittle came from the streets. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a gesture towards... Um, the world of the streets and the harder life of the working class, but that you really felt they came from that world. Um, so it was someone who had that rigour, um, had that fight within mm-hmm. them. And we also thought Eliza had to have a huge amount of fight for her to do what she did, like for her to even walk into Higgins's uh, room. It's an mm-hmm. enormous thing for her to do. Um, and then to put so much money and she earns so little to put so much of her money into into wanting lessons. You're going, this woman is feisty. So we needed that. Um, 
and someone who could bring that energy through to uh, an Eliza who has then been taught um, how to speak and mix with the upper classes, basically. Yeah. Um, I just want to move on in the next few minutes to more general questions sure. uh, about you as a director. And uh, could you tell us about your process generally as a director? What attracts you to the theatre? What, what type of theatre are you interested in? And yeah. how do you work? Um, Three big questions. Okay. Right. So uh, the type of mm. plays I'm interested mm. in uh, plays... Uh, I, I love language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love writers who use... Uh, all the complexities of language to explore, uh, I suppose, emotional ideas and political ideas. So um, I'm also really drawn to plays that have um, men and women of the heart, emotional struggles, basically, between them. That's always interesting. Um, uh, So um, Shaw, his ideas are extremely complex, and to me that's always a challenge. So I Mm -hmm. like a play that gives me an enormous challenge, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And... Sure, is the quintessence of that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So, um, and in terms of how I work, um, I would start working on a play prior to rehearsals. First of all, months mm-hmm. in advance, and reading and reading and reading the play, and writing about each character, looking at the type of language he uses for each character, similar imagery for each character, and 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 really um, explore all as much as I can do the political and social mm-hmm. ideas that are, are, are mentioned in the play. And then... Um, and, and I'd actually test my ideas out on boring people. So Andrea Ainsworth was a very, um, <laughs> uh, very patient ear. She's the, the, the voice coach, and she also helped us with the phonetics. Um, and I would just talk ad nauseum to, uh, to her about, what do you think of this idea? And do you think this is going on here? And just talk. Uh-huh. But then once I get into rehearsals, um, the first week we had five and a half weeks rehearsal, which I think really needed for mm-hmm. this play mm-hmm. um, um, to, in order to get to all the, the depth of the play. And I would work around the table for the first week. Mm-hmm. So we watched um, videos on Empire, Simon Shama video, mm. and we watched two episodes of, of that. Um, Andrew came in to talk about phonetics, and we went through the play bit by bit, mm-hmm. talking about the ideas within the play. Um, and so I suppose I would do that to get a sense of... I suppose there's so many ways you could direct Pygmalion, and I wanted everyone to feel, by the end of the week to have a sense of the type of production they were going to be in. Because mm. I suppose the actors didn't know what type of production I was, sure. I was mm-hmm. looking at doing. And it could have been... We could have played it as a comedy, basically. Mm. And even though it's very funny, we didn't actually uh, end up working it that way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. f- for laughs. Um, but um, So I think by the end of the week, everyone had a sense of how we were hoping to root the play mm-hmm. and the type of production. And then I just get it up on its feet. Um, and um, I was very lucky with all the actors because they were all actors who are constantly inquiring about language too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was one of those plays we did a lot of stopping actually. And sometimes you're kind of going, oh, let's just get on with it. But all of us ended up having to stop because... Mm-hmm. because it, you're literally moving on a few lines and you're going, but what does he actually mean by this line? And mm-hmm. and, and, and you really have to be on top of Shaw's thoughts all, right. all the time. Um, and what became very important as well is that you can't think between the lines. You have to think on, on the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaw doesn't allow you to think between the lines. So... Um, um, so there's no sense of reflection within the play, but you use language to to dis- discover your argument. 
Do you right. have to be, mm -hmm. does that make sense? You have to mm -hmm. be kind of on your argument as opposed to thinking about what you're going to say. Um, so in a way, they use language to explore ideas constantly. So it's mm -hmm. constantly an active thing. Right. Um, and so I suppose that's how it works. I mean, you seem to be very passionate about Shaw. Uh, yeah. It's the first time you've directed a short yeah. play. Um, would you, is there another short play that you'd like to direct? Um, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't read all of Shaw, but he's written mm. so much. But um, I, I'm going to be... Um, I love St. Joan, um, mm -hmm. but I'm also looking at Major Barbara at the moment, mm -hmm. just having a read of that, and that's fascinating, terribly complex too. Um, but I think I'd need to read it a lot more before <laughs> I could expand on it. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any particular uh, challenges of directing on the Abbey stage for you? Did you find anything um, I've been told for years mm. by so many people saying, oh, make sure that the action doesn't go mm. too far upstage and mm. just because voice is getting lost and things like that. So I went to see um, a couple of plays. Like, I, I, I go anyway, but, but I went again to mm. see a few plays that had been on just prior to um, me going into rehearsals to look at where the best positions on the stage right. were. Okay. Um, and that sounds very pragmatic, but just, um, just you realise in certain places just aren't good mm -hmm. on the mm. Stage and the rehearsal room is can fit practically the whole stage in, but it doesn't give you any stand back yeah, and yeah. perspective. Mm -hmm. And so you're on top of it. And and I did think when we got into tech, I was going, Christ, it feels quite different. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But so that was I actually just looking at what other people did on the stage okay. um, mm -hmm. and looking at other productions and seeing how they use the space. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that was it because um, it's so wide. And in the rehearsal room, you, you, you can't get a sense of that because it's over there. So you mm -hmm. can't st step back from it. So you're constantly, I remember Fiek saying, imagine you're in the theatre now, try and step back, step mm -hmm. back all the time. But, um, um, so that, I suppose it's difficult right. if you literally can't do it's it. It's very <laughs> difficult. And yeah. I was going, yes, I, I, you're right, but I can't. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, um, um, before we open it up to questions on yeah. the floor, um, I'd just like to ask you, is there anything that you would like to do in the future? What's, what's your future plans? Or can you tell us anything? Can we um, see your work again soon? Yeah, well, I'm working on a project um, on Maeve Brennan, mm -hmm. um, the Irish writer, um, and developing that with the writer Emma Donoghue. Um, and so I've just come out of a workshop doing that last week, um, and that's for 2012. So it's like ah, a long process mm -hmm. of developing a script um, mm -hmm. around Maeve Brennan, whose writing is absolutely incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a few other things as well. I'm resident at Project um, oh, Art right, Centre yeah. at the mm -hmm. moment, so I'd mm -hmm. be looking to explore plays written in the 1990s, so maybe mm -hmm. once-off productions. So okay. doing that, mm -hmm. yeah. I should say that Animal has her own company, yeah. uh, Hatch uh, Theatre. Right. Um, yeah. I've seen all her work <laughs> uh, and reviewed it favourably on many occasions, <laughs> in fact. Uh, um, so are there questions on the floor? Yes. Uh, would, you just, uh, would you agree with the fact that Higgins might be in this world, but not of this world, because he's completely um, uh, unaware of Eliza's emotions? Yeah. And he just, he just wants a job of work to go and do. You do ABC. Yes. If you're emotional, tough. Yeah. You just go and go and do that job, and then when he realizes that his emotions are being stirred, yeah, and he finds himself attracted to her, yeah, and he can't cope with, he still kind of the modern term of mates over the speak towards her, like he just doesn't tell me uh, from base. I'm going back to the movie part with the My Fair Lady. You wouldn't be alive if it didn't send you bloody birthday cards. You wouldn't be alive if it didn't send you flowers. I arrive late. That kind of attitude is 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 in him, and I think he's very kind of he's very materialistic. In the sense of his job, 
Mm. And uh, he just then when he gets emotionally involved with it, then then he kind of breaks and realizes she's a human being and he's a human being. Yeah. But she, as you said, she stuck all that abuse because she wanted to get there, and, she, yeah. and he just looked upon her as a as a project. But could I ask you the very last lines in it? Yeah. Was it for the first version or the second version that you used the last line? And uh, the first version first we went. Version, yeah, mm. because yeah, the, the very I found them very very moving. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Oh, good. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Mm. No, Thank you very much. Cheers. Um, yes. Yeah, it's funny we discussed that on whether Higgins or Pickering were gay. Um, but I think the period is set in. There are very different. Um, certain things were accepted in the way that they wouldn't be, wouldn't be accepted now. Um, so we didn't feel that either of them were gay actually. Um, and um, we, I suppose, in terms of yeah, Fintan tools, I suppose today, if you were to have two men cohabiting, you would presume them to be gay. But at the time this this was written, I think that behaviour wouldn't be questioned mm. in quite the same way. So we didn't feel that they were gay, um, actually. Um, and I thought it would put a different reading on the play, which I didn't think follows through the play. I don't think Shaw is exploring. Uh, a gay man psychology at all, um, but that's 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 my idea. But I don't, or that's what we agreed on. But um, so I suppose that's that's what I think Fintan Hill was talking about. Is that if you were to do that today or put it in a modern context, you would question those ideas. So there's certain things you have to accept about the period. Mm. Um, that, that certain things were were, were accepted, um, and I can't remember the thing. Uh, Pygmalion, the origin of Pygmalion. Mm. Oh, uh, that comes from. Um, it's from Metamorphoses, um, and, and it is Pygmalion was a, a Cypriot sculptor, mm. I think it was, who uh, had, which is the first thing I read actually, which um, Pygmalion was a man who had an abhorrence for women, seeing them as prostitutes in some way, and uh, I, don't, I can't remember if he was commissioned to, I can't remember why he set about making his perfect woman. Um, uh, in sculpture form, and the, the statue was Galatia, is that mm, how you pronounce it? Right, yeah. um, and he ends up falling in love with his own creation, uh, who then com- comes alive. So, uh, so mm. Shaw was basing it on, on that. Mm. Mm. Behind you, yes. Rupert Everett. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be very interested yeah. now to see it. I didn't want to see anything to do with it while I was in production, but um, I would actually be very interested to see it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I th- I've heard it's quite different. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen it? Not yet, I will though. Oh, you will? Yeah. Okay. There was a hand just behind. Yes. Uh. I suppose, um, I suppose the way that Shaw can step back from class mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, Shaw's an outsider, uh, and he mixed in those circles, but he was always a great commentator as well on English society. And I, I, I guess that comes from him being an Irishman, actually, mm. um, where he's able to mix... Actually, in some ways, I don't think Higgins is Shaw, mm. but there are many attributes of Higgins and the outsider. I think Sh- Higgins also is an outsider to his class mm-hmm. and is a good observer of his class as well. So in that ways, I think... That's what, you know, that enables him to to write so succinctly about the world, Mm. I think, and to write about all the classes as well. I think the English class system was his experiment. I I think so. English morals, yeah. yeah. Any other hands? Any other questions? Um, I have one. You've read, obviously, you've been to my tools, but you, all the reviews on on this book, have been very favourable. Do you you put a lot of store in what reviewers say, or do you just... Um, if I'm really honest, both. Um, so I felt, I felt uh, with this production, you don't always feel that you have achieved what you set out to achieve. Um, but I did feel with this production, we all achieved what we set out to achieve. And the type of production I was hoping would come about months before rehearsals started, I feel, is the production we ended up with. So, um, so when the reviewers kind of acknowledge that you're always pleased, but then at the same time, you know, you, you can, I'll have arguments with them over, you know, in my head as well. So I think it's an ongoing <laughs> battle. But you, I, suppose, I suppose you know yourself when something works or doesn't mm. work. Um, and I've done productions where they criticise and I can argue, but I, I know they might be right as well. But it doesn't mean they're all... I suppose, you know, it's a... It's, yeah, it, it depends. It's nice when you both think they're good. <laughs> yeah, good. Exactly. Okay. Sorry, sorry to yeah. come back again. But if, if there was any hint of uh, gay relationship, if it negates the romantic episode or involved uh, with Eliza and Higgins and how they realise each other's emotions, you know? Yeah. For example, years ago in the Markman Y show, you'd see them doing a sketch and they'd, they'd be in bed together. Yeah. Like two mates, two, yeah. two, like two boys or two brothers. Sharing. Like, that couldn't be done nowadays. No. Mm. But as you said, that was an acting trap. Like, it just wasn't, it just wasn't like, yeah. in vogue then. Mm-hmm. Would you also agree that this changed slightly? Oscar Wilde uh, did the same kind of thing. Yeah. In relation to uh, the English, because he was an outsider, mm-hmm. yes, uh, very educated yeah. playwright, and he could go over there and mess with their heads. Yeah, <laughs> which is what he did. Yeah. maybe Shaw was doing the same. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they were in correspondence with each other, as far as I know, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, question at the back, in the middle. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought a couple of things. Uh, uh, the fundamental one was that uh, I think Shaw was writing a play about uh, a woman's independence and how a woman's independence is financial independence. Um, and for her to marry Higgins would negate financial independence. Um, and women didn't have much financial independence in that time. The minute they got married, the money belonged to the husband. So I think for there to be any uh, romantic involvement would negate her journey because she starts out looking for independence, uh, greater financial independence, mm-hmm. by being a, uh, working in a flower shop. 
Um, but it gets sidetracked into being a duchess. And obviously, as a duchess, she becomes a slave to whatever man... Or not a duchess, she's mm. not literally, but she will become a slave to whatever man will have her. And that's she, her greatest entrapment, actually. So... Um, and whether they actually fall in love, I think they, they love each other, but whether it's in that sense, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But I think they are drawn to each other because they are kindred spirits in a way. Um, and I think it's the first time Higgins has found a woman who uh, stimulates him uh, emotionally and, 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 and mentally. Um, and I, th- I don't think he's ever found that other than in his mother. Um, and, and, and now he sees her. But he, I think he sees stimulation of the soul almost as a male thing, you know, because he says, now we'll be three gentlemen. Mm, you know, we'll mm-hmm, live together. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think he... F- I think he has divorced himself so much for emotionally from women that he doesn't feel he can get any, uh, any uh, nourishment from them, mm-hmm. basically. And we have one last question at the back. Yes, Sure. Um, the lighting designer, Mick Hughes, actually is based in London. He's from London. So we would, um, myself and Paul, the, 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 the relationship really uh, artistically all started with um, set and sound, actually. But um, myself and Paul would always think about, who's the set designer, would always think about lighting and the effects we wanted to create. So, for example, in all the files, we instantly were thinking when light shines through them, we would create a prison effect. Um, so in the end of Act 4, we wanted to create that. Also in the bathroom scene through the windows, we, we wanted to create that sense of the stark whiteness and, again, the prison. So like they're all in cages, a bit like the bird in the mm-hmm. cage that's flown, but they're all actually imprisoned within their class and Eliza becomes imprisoned within Higgins. So we were always thinking about lighting, also in terms of using the screen um, and, and, and the screen drop, speaking to Mick Hughes, the lighting designer, very early on about about how we wanted to use that. In the end, actually, Philip Stewart, who's the sound designer, did the graphic design on the screen because um, we, we, we all saw the screen, in a way, as a bit of Higgins's rhythm of how he starts the laboratory scene and also he truncates the dream at the end of mm-hmm. Act 3. But um, So we were always kind of thinking in terms of light and then sending him. He has no email, so we'd have to photocopy and take photographs of things and then um, and post them to him, basically. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, I can see some of you have got your tickets uh, at, uh, at the ready, and I know you want to see the show. Um, so I'd just like to have everyone just thank Annabelle for giving up her time. Um, thank you. And congratulations on a wonderful, wonderful production. Thanks for listening. You'll find many more Abbey Theatre talks available to listen back to, along with details of future talks in the series by visiting our website, abbeytheatre.ie.